Hi, everyone. Welcome to VLGA Connect and the weekly governance update. Steve Cooper is back with us as usual. Hi, Steve. Hi, Chris. Good to see you. And you. And nice background. I know. It's new, apparently. Something's changed. Something has changed. We're very, very happy to have the support of Hunt and Hunt Lawyers as uh, official sponsors now of the VLGA Connect governance update. And we will be hearing from Hunt and Hunt from time to time on matters of relevance as well, which is really terrific. Terrific. And thanks. And thanks to them, of course. So, yeah, good news. So we've got lots to talk about. I've got a big, long list here, Steve. Let's just start at the top and work our way through things yeah. that I know have caught your eye as, as well as some that have caught mine. Uh, a report in the last week of a situation at the City of Melbourne where there's been so many conflicts of interests declared in relation to some decisions that they haven't been able to maintain a quorum to make those decisions. This is interesting. I thought they apparently the report in the age, I believe, sort of said they had you know record numbers of matters where councillors had had to absent themselves from the chamber due to various conflicts of interest, but some of which include um, donations and associations with uh, applicants for planning permits and so on, Chris. So, um, what is this a sign of, Steve? Um, I thought it was a sign of two things, Chris. Um, one, that there will be an ongoing scrutiny at a macro level of the regime around donations for councillors' election campaigns and particularly the activities of those involved in the development community, which is something that we should all be concerned about. And just as an aside, we're looking forward at some stage to the release of the IBAC Sandon report into Casey. Um, the other part, though, Chris, I thought it was actually quite an optimistic report in the sense that it would appear that councillors are recognising that they've got a conflict of interest and absenting themselves from the chambers accordingly, which, you know, I think is on balance good news for transparency. Absolutely. So a sign that the system is working. Of course, you, you're going to have some situations where it means things grind to a halt. So what have they done in these cases to be able to proceed on those matters? I think um, there was certainly a matter that had to be referred to a committee which comprised the four councillors uh, who were left who didn't have a conflict of interest in the matter. And the, in fact, the details of those conflicts, I'm not sure about. And that's not the first time um, a councillor has had to do that. I think the Mooney Valley City Council found themselves in a similar situation um, a couple of years ago, Chris. It's a very practical solution by the sounds of that. Absolutely. There's one other issue that's probably worth marking too on that one, Chris, and that's, of course, that not only has the regime under the Local Government Act 2020 been changed, to that more simplified model of um, a material and a general conflict, which requires a whole lot more interpretation from councillors. But the other big risk, of course, uh, for any councillor officer with a conflict of interest uh, is to absent themselves from the decision-making process. So once a councillor, for example, has a conflict of interest, important not to engage in discussions on the issue uh, with council officers or their council colleagues. And potentially leave the chamber before any decision is made. Oh, definitely. You wouldn't stay in the chamber, Chris, during discussion of the matters, and there's ample opportunity in council meetings to deal with those things. All right. So that, that was an interesting one. I, I noticed a piece from uh, our friends at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers that was published also in the last week or so around the effects of social media on the last uh, elections that happened in Victoria. I think they've, they've gone a little bit deeper to pick up on some of the themes that have come out of the inspectorate's reporting of how those elections transpired. 
They have, Chris. And um, look, I would think we can put that again on our socials if anyone's um, looking for that. Um, but the couple of issues that I picked up on there is they certainly go into um, a little bit of detail around misleading and deceptive conduct and also around bullying and harassment associated with social media. Um, it's probably useful to have that one out there uh, for reading. Uh, interesting, of course, that there is an election coming up in the South Gippsland Shire to mark the return of democracy to South Gippsland. And it will be very interesting, and I think it would be good for you and I to come back to this topic sort of post that um, South Gippsland election uh, and see if anything's changed, because there have certainly been um, concerns around social media, particularly at that time, and particularly in a way that um, uh, is gendered in its impact. So that, that election's next month. Western Australian Council elections are next month. New South Wales Council elections are in December. Uh, Northern Territory Council elections were last weekend. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether there's any info coming out of those other jurisdictions, because I suspect this is a universal issue. Oh, nothing's unique in this particular topic, is it, Chris? I think these are parts of much wider trends. So let's keep an eye on what what feedback we get from those jurisdictions as well. And nice research by you. Uh, uh, I read up on this stuff a little bit, Steve. It also reminds me uh, that I have um, issued a special edition of the Local Government News Roundup talking about the Australian Local Government Women's Association's uh, push to get pledges of respect signed by candidates going into elections. And there's some councils in uh, New South Wales that are insisting on uh, candidates doing that at the moment, which I think is a great um, initiative. Again, the jury is going to be out on what sort of change it brings about. Yeah, and Chris, we, we touched last week on the fact that the um, the Minister has has announced um, that the appointments been made for PricewaterhouseCoopers and um, a couple of academics to do that review into culture in local government. And can I just take the opportunity um, also to send out good wishes, which I know on behalf of you and the wider J VLGA to Minister Sean Lean, who's taken a month off because he's um, unwell. And Minister Lean's announced that he's not expecting um, long-term consequences from his condition, but in fact, getting radiation therapy is pretty debilitating. And I think for someone to concentrate on their own well-being um, is a good thing. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Steve, and absolutely we send all of our best wishes to Minister Lean. So for those who haven't caught up with that news, he's had radiation treatment for skin cancers on the shoulder and the chest, I believe it was. Um, and it's basically, if I can put it this way, it's knocked him around a bit, as you would expect. Uh, he said in his statement it was making it a bit difficult to fulfil his responsibilities. So um, I, I think all credit for recognising that, taking the time to deal with it, and we do wish him a speedy recovery and hope to have him back very, very soon. Absolutely, Chris, and good luck and good wishes to Marianne Thomas, who will be filling the role as Acting Minister for Local Government for the next three and a half weeks. And suburban development, and also to Luke Donnellan, who's Acting Minister uh, for Veterans. Um, True. Uh, now, um, we didn't actually have that on the list, so let's no, go I know. to the <laughs> official list here. Uh, Brisbane and dangerous birds. This is a terrible story. A five-month-old baby killed... Um, you know, just tragic in an incident where the mum was trying to avoid a swooping magpie. This has led to Brisbane bringing uh, in an independent agency, I think it was KPMG, to review its management policies in relation to dangerous birds. And we've had the outcome of that this week. Yeah, too true, Chris. And someone we know well who knows about these things said that magpies in um, 
Brisbane can be a bit more ferocious than the Victorian variety. And it was obviously significant enough for the Brisbane City Council to uh, implement a protocol or a strategy in terms of um, dealing with swooping magpies that had become a threat. Now, in some ways, that's a matter for councils to consider in terms of how they manage parks, what they do with those issues. But the reality was the council had a strategy and the KPMG finding was that the council hadn't followed the steps that they'd set out in their own strategy, which is pretty instructive across um, a range of issues for which we um, adopt policies and strategies, Chris. Yes, I, th I think it found there'd been five reports in relation to this particular bird. Um, so therefore the, the finding that the council could have been more proactive in dealing with that. Uh, and that the signage wasn't sufficient to warn people of the presence of uh, sweeping magpies, I guess. Yeah, and I'm reminded of some words, and I'll, I don't want to verbal our good friend Ian McCormick from Canada, um, who talks about uh, wise practice rather than best practice. And uh, the bit that's useful for me here is that sometimes when you're adopting policy, there's a tendency to look out and say, well, what are you know what is best practice? But the reality is what's important is what is what are you as an organisation capable of doing? And there's no point, and I'm not saying that Brisbane did, but in terms of any of our policies or strategies, um, certainly for the community is that we adopt uh, what we are capable of delivering on or that we take steps to ensure that we're capable of delivering on whatever it is that we adopt. Steve, this sort of reminds me there are, as we get through the implementation phase of Local Government Act 2020, there's a bunch of policy work that's uh, becoming due at the end of this year, I think. I think that's right, Chris. And, and I mean, councils are reporting a significant workload um, in relation to those policies. I'd be expecting local government of Victoria in the near future to uh, to write to CEOs on this topic. But I guess the, the heads up I'd give is a really good starting point is to work out, you know, what are you capable of, what work are you capable of getting done? You know, what can you adopt um, that is meaningful for your organisation? And I know a number of councils thinking at the moment in terms of procurement policy that they'll make minimal changes at the moment but certainly with an eye to improvement over coming years and i'm reminded too i think it was you that told me there's a number of fact sheets about to drop from lgv2 on some related matters yeah all of those land information things chris just they've sort of been mentioned i've got to say it's only in the last week um, that i've got round to reading them but if i can just check my list things like carrying out works on land unpaid money you know how councils sometimes order people to slash their grass and then go out and do it for them and charge them um, accordingly uh, notices of acquisition because purchases of property are meant to tell the council within 30 days and land information certificates so those fact sheets are going to drop uh, imminently and what will be important to know is that of course um, the provision the relevant provisions are going to need to be changed on various documentation and certainly um, are on the side of checking, but substantially those various provisions in the 2020 Act are similar to what to the regime under the 1989 Act as well. Okay, to some uh, news items that are um, front and centre at the moment. There's been a parliamentary inquiry into that ongoing matter in relation to uh, food services at uh, the city of Dandenong and the, the company iCook. This is subdue to say, so we've got to be careful what we say, and we're not interested in drawing any conclusions, of course, but some um, some well-reported uh, testimony uh, occurred this week at the parliamentary inquiry. Um, some widely different um, testimony, Chris. So let's go back a step. Um, there has been a parliamentary inquiry, and um, 
both iCook Foods, I've said both and I'm going to go to three, iCook Foods, uh, the council and uh, the health department representatives, right. um, including the former minister, have all appeared before um, that particular inquiry, which was um, streamed publicly, uh, reported in the media, and people can draw their own conclusions out of that. The subjudice part is that iCook have also launched a Supreme Court action against those parties, and I noticed they've recently um, added the food safety auditor uh, to that Supreme Court action. I don't think um, his or her honour is going to be influenced by anything we say, but it's a nice practice. We'll probably wait and see uh, with a great deal of interest because um, the implications of the various findings, whichever way they go, um, will be significant to councils um, in terms of, uh, I guess, the enforcement and compliance roles that we perform. The implications of the Supreme Court matter you're talking about specifically, Steve, there? I would say so, Chris. I think there's been um, the elements that have been tested, and I won't be exhaustive, but they, you know, they include matters like a predetermination, you know, apprehended bias, um, issues around conflict of interest, uh, issues around chain of control over um, evidence. So there are a range of issues that the court will consider in terms of making a finding regarding the claim by iCook Foods. Um, and I think councils will do, it would be wise to, and I'm sure our friends at Hunt and Hunt and other lawyers will be um, making a lot of public commentary at that time. Steve, question without notice. What's the purpose of the value of a parliamentary inquiry into a matter that is also currently subject to a Supreme Court proceeding? Um, I don't know, Chris, and I'll editorialise back at you. Um, again, without notice and probably without thought. I, I think there's um, there's been an uncomfortable trend over probably recent few years about bringing effectively public servants into public debate. Um, certainly the actions of public servants should be scrutinised. Certainly um, anyone in the service of the public should be held to account. But um, I think in all of these things, the personalisation more generally, not just not just in relation to iCooked Foods, sort of more generally, um, has been a cause for some concern by commentators generally. Mm. Mm. So in, in answer to your original question, um, I don't know the purpose of the public of the parliamentary inquiry. All right, mm. we might leave that there, but I'm sure it's something we'll be coming back to. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Uh, I've got three more things on my list. Some CEO movements in Victoria, and uh, remind you of the running tally I'm keeping on the local government news roundup website uh, for Victorian council CEO movements. Uh, we were remiss last week not to acknowledge Anthony Judd who uh, is the CEO at Bullock Shire, but won't be for much longer. He's moving to a role in the state government and has announced his resignation. So we wish him all the best. And I know he'll be greatly missed, not just in that part of the state, but from the CEO group across uh, the state in general. Yeah, it had a bit to do with Anthony over the, um, the last couple of years in particular, and he's been uh, a terrific supporter for Bullock, the local government in his region and the sector more generally. And um, Good luck to Delp for uh, their appointment of Anthony. It'll be uh, a terrific acquisition for them. And a former colleague of mine in the west of uh, Melbourne, uh, Kelvin Torrey, who's been at Melton City Council for 19 years, not all that time in the CEO role, of course, um, has announced his retirement uh, as of the end of October. And uh, so we acknowledge and wish Kel all the very best too for, for his future. An extraordinarily nice fellow and um, a very competent operator in a really complex environment. Um, so, yeah, good luck to Kel. I'd echo that, Chris. 
There's 21 on that list now, Steve, of uh, councils that have had CEO movements in this term of council. Some, of course, were pending the election and post. I, I was a bit slow getting Loddenshire onto the list. I knew Phil Pinion was retiring, uh, and that's happened very quietly and quickly last month, and there's an acting in place there. And, of course, we've added Bullock and Melton in the last week. Um, Windsor Caribbean in oh. New South Wales. We're going a couple of interstate stories uh, for you, Steve. Windsor Caribbean, New South Wales. Now, you'll be um, familiar with this story because the councillors there were suspended back uh, earlier in the year and an interim administrator was put in place. The esteemed Viv May, formerly of the Mossman City right. Council, has been the interim administrator. Yes. And uh, Viv has been really active um, in his role, which has caused us to talk about Windsor Caribbean quite a bit, to your delight, Chris. He certainly has. And look, he issued a report a little while back and was pretty upfront in saying uh, to the community and to the minister that he did not think these suspended councillors uh, should be returning anytime soon. Um, the fly in the ointment here is that the state government has deferred the elections uh, again to December. And my very simple uh, reading of this is, the suspension of the councillors at Windsor Caribbean was due to expire in September, which was when the elections were originally due to happen. So the minister at the time said uh, she was considering legal options uh, and has, as of this week, announced a public inquiry, uh, which is going to have the effect of uh, extending the suspension of the councillors, as well as deferring the election, which was to have occurred in December, uh, she's reappointed the interim administrator, the aforementioned Viv May, and um, they're going to go through with this inquiry to investigate the serious issues plaguing the council and help restore community confidence, is what she said. One can only speculate, Chris, on what's in the mind of the minister when you know any minister makes decisions, but isn't there a tension between the benefit of a return to democracy and you can only presume that the... Um, Minister is thinking that there is information that needs to be explored that should be uh, before the voters when they go to the election. Um, hence, waiting for the inquiry to be concluded before those mm. elections occur. So that's that's pretty fresh news uh, this week. We'll continue to keep an eye on that one. The other one that caught my eye, Stephen, I didn't mention this to you in our very brief pre-discussion. Uh, over in Western Australia, where councillors uh, where councils are going to election next month. The local government minister there has just been on uh, radio in Perth saying that he's committing to introduce reforms to create more transparency and accountability in local government in that state. And this follows uh, allegations of corruption, infighting and incompetence in recent years. So again, to our earlier discussion, these issues are not just uh, in one jurisdiction. They're seemingly common to all. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Are you flummoxed again? Are you gobsmacked? Yeah, both and all and discombobulated as well, Chris. No, I, uh, look, maybe it was the incompetence thing um, word that got me because at times I think it's easily thrown around. Um, and um, like any allegation, I think it's really important that they be explored thoroughly before they're put out in the marketplace. So I'll read you the minister's quote, developing a package of reforms about greater financial and transparency, but also more effective regulation, early intervention, uh, creating a better culture in local government and increasing accountability through a range of mechanisms. So that could all mean anything, but yeah, 
but it does appear the culture is under the microscope in that state as well. Yeah, and look, it's been interesting, Chris, because you might recall that since about 2014, local government in Victoria has um, embarked on legislative reform that has really been uh, ramped up um, the integrity provisions of the, of the Local Government Act, for example, and now we're going into a phase of reviewing the culture. So issues like politicisation, the fact that COVID's meant that sort of for councils to act as a cohesive team is more difficult. Um, th there are a range of issues impacting on the ability of the sector to function in a transparent way that kind of builds trust with the community. Uh, should mention the reason the minister's going on radio and talking about that at the moment is nominations for Western Australian council elections open this week and they close on the 9th, which is uh, next week. So it's very topical. My word, All right, Steve, my, uh, my list is exhausted uh, and I've finished it as well. And what about you? I think we're probably both as exhausted as we're going to be, Chris. So uh, let's call it a wrap. Thanks very much, Steve. We will call it a wrap. That's another governance update in the can with very uh, great thanks to our uh, new sponsor, Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. Join us again next week for another edition of the governance update from VLGA Connect. Mm -hmm.